Hey everybody, we are now live. I appreciate, oh, Sophia just disappeared, but I'm sure she'll be right back. I appreciate the three, soon to be four of you joining us. We'll add Sophia back in momentarily. It's actually hard to believe this is session number 50 something of our spring virtual conference. So if you've been watching since the beginning, good work. My eyes have been attached to the screen for nearly the past 72 hours. And I hope you've enjoyed all the wisdom of all the fantastic speakers that we've had before you for the past couple of days. Today's final conversation is on creating the best team possible. This is an extremely important issue relevant to everyone listening, whether you're in a brewery or any other kind of business. It's relevant to being a better person and it's relevant to just, you know, creating that culture you want to spend time around and have people who want to be part of. We're living in weird times and in many parts of the country, it's challenging to even find staff in general. Today, we're going to talk about hiring practices to create diverse, inclusive, and equitable workplaces, strategies to make this happen, the training necessary to maintain a productive and successful team, and overall, how creating this positive company culture can help you be a better brewery. While there is no way possible to provide the complete recipe for creating the best team in just an hour, I hope the unique insight of our panelists can provide you inspiration and ideas that you can put into your own business. And Sophia, welcome back to the conversation. But Max, because you are to the right of me, it's time for intros and you're up first. Thanks, Andrew. Happy to be here today. I'm really happy to talk about this topic with everyone. Um, my name is Max Finance. I am the education and training manager for Artisanal Brewing Ventures. So that's Six Point Brewery, Victory Brewing Company, and Southern Tier Brewing Company, as well as Bold Rock Cider and Seltzer down south. Um, my, my passion in this arena obviously lies within the training and, you know, beer education and sort of liquid education for your staff, but I'm also really excited and passionate about the opportunities to expand uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and, and all of that. So I'm excited to see what we can talk about today. And Max, I'm excited to see you face to face. I know we've corresponded randomly over the past couple of years. So it's nice to see you more than just a little Facebook, you know, avatar there. And I really appreciate all you do for education in the industry. I know you're really passionate about it and I am too. And I absolutely love that. Thank you, Andrew. And Nick, you're up. You just opened a brewery fairly recently. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm Nick. Uh, we just opened, uh, uh, officially opened to the public four weeks ago, uh, but we've been you know, kind of building out and getting ready to open uh, since early January. So we actually had like a very short uh, opening ramp up. Um, this this topic is uh, very uh, near and dear to my heart and, and one of the founding principles of um, the company we founded. Uh, just to give you a little bit of my background, uh, I worked at Trillium Brewing Company, helped them open originally uh, back in 2011, 2012 and uh, worked full-time there <clears throat> and then um, you know moved on uh, worked in the cannabis industry for uh, a brief period and then uh, decided to open up my own, my own brewery and that's where I'm sitting at in right now in this lovely office <laughs> well huge uh, congratulations to you so much and Kelly, I always enjoy the conversations you and I have because you're so passionate. And that's the one characteristic I think I like about you more than anything, whether we're talking about what we're talking about today, building that right team, or talking about building a disability-friendly taproom, which you will be giving a presentation on very, very soon. You're so knowledgeable, but it's truly your energy and your heart which truly stands out. But for everybody else who doesn't know you, tell them a little bit more about what you do in the industry. So we took a very interesting way into the world of beer in the fact that we we 
are a family. Fundamentally, we're a family with two boys on the autism spectrum. Two boys, now grown men, right? So they're 25 and Noah's about to be 30. And um, the employment rates, I'm just going to like kind of cut right in there to what we're talking about today, is the employment rates for people with disabilities are, are wretched. They're horrible. They are next to non-existent. Um, so we knew really early on that we would have to create opportunities for our sons. And then Tom later laid on me that he would like to actually have a brewery. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry, what? And so <laughs> I was a special education advocate and, uh, and all other kinds of things, mentors, um, going in and doing trainings and presentations on inclusion. Um, so we kind of married all these things into our brewery. And so the deal was between husband and wife was, okay, we're gonna do a brewery. We are going to make it accessible. And we are gonna do everything that we can, that we know now and continue to learn to make it accessible. So our little brewery, even though we're only a little five barrel brewery, which you can kind of see over my shoulder, wait, I'm directionally challenged on Zoom. Um, <laughs> but, um, even though we're a five barrel brewery, I think we are the second brewery in the United States of America that actually made our tap room to be disability and mobility and sensory friendly. And, uh, and that is our goal. And that is, that is our passion. That is our North star. So that's what I'm going to be bringing to the table in this conversation today. I love it. And I can't wait to visit your tap room before too long. Cause Pennsylvania is not too far from here, me here in Virginia. That's right. <laughs> And Sophia, you're up. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is such an awesome group of people. I'm really honored and excited to, to be chatting with you guys for the next hour. Um, so I've been in the beer industry for about eight years professionally now in a variety of capacities. I started off home brewing in Brazil, and that's where I got my education in beer. Um, I got a degree in brewing science down there and I moved back to America to get like good professional experience since the, the industry there was very nascent at the time. It's grown a lot in the, in the years since then. Um, and I've worked at a few breweries from small to bigger and in pretty much every role, um, from assistant brewer to production manager to general manager to brand director. Um, and I am also on the board of the New York State Brewers Association. Um, I'm an at-large board member. And I also chair the inclusivity committee that we started there last year. And we've just been doing good work trying to make New York beer more accessible and inclusive to, to everybody. And great things are going on in New York beer. So you're doing a great job behind the scenes and in, in front of the camera too. <laughs> Thanks. Now, when we talk, you know, working at a brewery, it's not just in the brew house. It's not just in the tap room. There's so many different positions we could talk about today. And I want to begin with a more general approach. Essentially, when you are hiring someone to join your team, no matter what their position is with the company, what are the top one, two, or three, depending on how many you want to throw away, traits you're looking for in a person to join your team? I'll start. Um, it. No, number one is passion. If I, I, I need to be able to like see that someone's passionate about something, you know, whether it's, you know, I, I honestly, like I, maybe I'll, I'll uh, regret saying this, but 
even if they're not passionate about craft beer, they're passionate about board games, you know, and they, they come to the interview and they talk about board games for 15 minutes. You know, that's that right there says to me, this is a passionate person. And this is like a passion that I can tap into. Right. Um, Cause I can make anybody passionate about craft beer through my passion and sharing that passion and, and the things that I care about in, in craft beer and, and, you know, bring them down the path of like, of, of caring, you know, so that's, that's for me, that's the number one thing. Like if, if anything else just goes away, it's, if you're passionate, then I can use that. I know I can, I can leverage that and, and help that person like learn about craft beer, you know, whatever, whatever it is that we actually need for the role. It's, you have to have passion. <laughs> and Nick, I don't think you'll regret that at all. Cause when I talk to brewery owners, if you get someone who's passionate, so many times it means they're trainable. And I know we're going to get into that shortly but if you get someone who's passionate about your brand they're going to be willing to learn so i absolutely love that recommendation there that's exactly the same thing i was going to say for my number one uh you know nick stole my glory there but uh i guess i would prefer they're passionate about craft beer and not just something but it doesn't matter if you you know nothing about beer if you are really interested in it and intrigued by it and i can see that passion uh i can teach you anything you need to know about beer I'm sure you know any good brewer can teach you how to brew beer. We can teach you how to be a good server or a bartender in the tap room, uh, but you can't teach someone how to be excited about it and how to communicate that passion to customers. That's a lot harder to do. Kelly, how about you? Mine is uh, showing up, right? So my first thing, because like I'm going to have individuals who might not be able to show their passion. Um, the way that maybe others would show theirs. So I'm going to see how brave they were in showing up. Because anytime you're showing up to a new opportunity, and you're kind of feeling unsure. Did you want me to put my headphones on? I kind of get now. Hold on. Hold on. Let's see if this works. I can jump in. Uh, yeah, go for it, Sophia. Kelly, your audio is a little bit distant. I'm going to let Sophia jump in right now. Sophia, if you want to hop back on the mic. And Kelly, when you figure out your mic, we'll get you back in. Yeah, I think on a... On a now I'm echoing too. Um, I think on a related note, I look for curiosity. Um, you know, I think that it's really important to ask a lot of questions when you're at an interview. And I think a little bit more specifically, like about the future, about what you want to achieve in a role and what kind of growth that you want to have. And I think that really, um shows that you have some kind of long-term commitment to the company and like i don't need you to work for me for five years for, for it to be like a valuable experience but but that mindset of long-term commitment i think is really valuable and i've seen i've had really good experiences with employees that i've hired that just ask a ton of questions like what are the next steps for the brewery? What are you guys planning on doing? What can this role grow into? And those kinds of questions, it just kind of makes me feel like 
you're somebody that I'm going to be able to rely on in in our time together. And I think that goes hand in hand what Kelly was talking about with dependability. And Kelly, I'll throw the mic back to you if you want to add on to what you were saying. Can you hear me? All right. <laughs> um, it is showing up. And I was going to also add the curiosity factor. Um, so I recognize anybody showing up to an interview is going to be on pins and needles, right? Especially if you haven't had exposure to the business before. And some of our jobs here, you don't necessarily need exposure to the business before. Um, but I am going to really buy into the, the curiosity factor, right? And I am going to look, somebody might not be able to ask me those specific questions for a variety of reasons, right? So whether it's just, it kind of freeze under pressure. So I try to be like really creative in the interview process that it's not just to sit down and talk. I'm going, like I saw somebody come in, first of all, one of our beer tenders who I love, um, has been with us from day one. He was one of the people who showed up when I put a call out just to like carry all the kegs down into the basement because we were opening up. I'm like, they're on the floor. We have them down in the basement. Who from the community can help us? And he showed up, right? So right there is really, that's what one of the problem for him, for showing up, right? Like he's not getting paid. He's not doing anything. Like he just showed up. We, have, we don't know each other at all. So that was a really impressive thing. But then when he came in actually for, the interview for the beer tender job <laughs> in other scenarios I, I kind of laugh because I'm like oh boy um let me just say that he kind of came in dressed like Freddie Mercury all right so <laughs> I was like that's an interesting first impression <laughs> for a job that you're trying to get but uh we were talking and I realized really soon that our talking was not working right like I knew he probably had more in him. So I was like, you know, I'm gonna, I really need to like get some things right. So I'm, I need to do some work downstairs in the basement. And uh, would you like to come with me? And we can continue chatting about this while we come, while we do this. And as we were down there, I said, hey, could you hand that? And I was just giving him like the tri clamp on that, that roller cart over there. He's like, what's the tri clamp? Great. Now I know he's going to ask me questions if he doesn't know something, right? So that is a huge perk for an employee. So I describe it. And when I described it, he could hand it to me. And then he really got interested in what we were doing. He started opening up more. We started discussing what I was doing, why we were doing it. And then I'm like, this is it. Like he's, he's going. And, and all he came in to interview for was a beer right there in that little bubble was all I needed to know about him. I'm like, he showed up, he was early, he asked questions, he could follow directions, he, he could interact with me, and I'm like, he is definitely 100% worth giving a try in this position. But it was a very um, different way than most people interview people for their positions. And that's one thing our brewery wants to do is, is to be able to do that is because my son could never go and interview for a position. Like just never. Like he's dyspraxic. And dyspraxia is like when your brain 
doesn't communicate well with all your muscles. So basically every muscle movement you, you have to learn how to do um, rather than it just kind of coming naturally through mother nature. So his speech is still very stymied. He'd never be able to do a traditional interview. So that opens us up to being more open to how, how are there other ways that you can express yourself and how can we be receptive as to looking differently at, at your abilities and seeing where we can actually I don't have it memorized, so I'm going to have to read it. Kelly, your audio is a little bit uh, chunky right now. It's a little in and out. If you could maybe just talk into the mic. I think your, okay. your hands might be okay. blocking it. Stop leaving my hand. <laughs> I do um, the same. Inclusion is not a strategy to help people fit into the systems and structures which exist in our societies. It is about transforming those systems and structures to make it better for everyone. So I think there's too often that we have it upside down, right? It's like, where can we plug you in versus here you are, how can we plug you in? Right. Kelly, I really, it, it's hard to hear at the moment. We might want to kind of get your mic fixed. I'm not sure what the issue is, but you know, the story that you shared was fantastic. And that quote was, is super powerful. What I want to dive into now is, you know, obviously we want to find employees that fit in just like that. That's the absolute goal. And some of the traits that you and Sophia just mentioned about dependability and looking for someone who has that long-term commitment, they're obviously ideal. And in a past life, I ran a food service. I would run really large-scale concession operations at all kinds of crazy events, whether it's a football game, monster truck show, or hockey. I was all over the place. But when I was running these events, if I needed, let's say, you know, 50 people, I might have to hire 100 people. And if I got 50 people out of those 50 people, only 10 might be, you know, fitting in the job description that I actually needed. It's challenging to find hardworking people, just like both of you have mentioned. So what I want to ask everybody today is, you know, how are you finding those people? Are you using sites like social media, Facebook, Instagram? Are you using Indeed, Craigslist? Before we get into more of the questions you might ask at an interview, where are you even going to find candidates for positions at your brewery? So having just done this, uh, I can speak to it a little bit. Um, for us, it was uh, a couple different pathways. Um, you know, all the traditional stuff, you know, posting on Indeed, you know, you get the, honestly, you get the most volume of resumes I've found from Indeed. Um, whether or not those are like quality candidates, you know, that's another, another story. But I think like tapping into, you know, your, you know, your local community and, and hopefully if you're starting a brewery in an area, you're already like tapped in and know like what, what people are looking for. And then, and, you know, talking to, talking to those people about what you're doing and getting people interested in, in what you're doing. Cause if you're, you know, if you're starting a business and, and you're attracting, um, you know, you're attracting talent just by telling your story, uh, that's, you know, that's a good sign because then you're also going to attract customers based on that story, right? So, you know, for us, it was it was a lot of like, all right, we're gonna post to Indeed, we're gonna post to our website, but we're also gonna post on our social media, you know, our, on our Instagram and, and um, our Facebook page, because that's how that's how people know about us even before open. 
you know, we told all of our friends and they followed the Instagram page and they got their friends to follow the Instagram page or somebody came across it because we used like, you know, the hashtag craft beer, you know, whatever it was, you know, people have discovered the brand and they're going to start talking about it. And then when you post a job, it says to those, you know, the people who are already watching you, you know, oh, I'm going to tag my friend on this post because they'd be great to, you know, go work in the tap room or, you know, they've been working at uh, XYZ place and they want you know, a change or, or whatever it is. Um, and then I think, you know, the, the last piece of that is, you know, use, again, like using your network, talking to talking to people that you know, and just getting the word out there. It's, it's, it's really tough right now, especially up here, um, because, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about before we went live, like how things are starting to open up a little bit more, restrictions are starting to relax. And up here, basically every restaurant, bar, everything is like hiring everyone right now. And there's just nobody left. <laughs> so we're kind of like, we've got a couple people, but you know, it's maybe not ideal, but we'll you know, adjust the schedule accordingly. So it's, it's a big challenge. And then you know, there's using, um, using other pathways as well. So you know, we're, uh, my wife and my, my partner, Zach's uh, wife, they're actually the owners of the business. And we don't really talk about that ever. Um, but they're both members of Pink Boots, and you know we posted on Pink Boots. That was the first place we posted even before Indeed, and uh, you know we posted on Beer Culture to see you know if we could attract other people from different groups that you know maybe aren't paying attention to what we're doing. Um, you know, with mis mixed success, but for us, you know, in the startup phase, like the the most successful thing was was working with our uh, I I don't want to say social network because that means like uh, something else, but you know it's really like people know who who we are and that we're starting a brewery and you know they hear the story and, and hopefully it like compels them to come in. And that's that's that was our approach to like finding people, at least in this opening phase. And now it's it's more about like, you know, becoming embedded in the community in different ways that are hopefully meaningful um, to get exposure to those different groups, you know, whatever whatever storytelling aspect both in hiring that initial staff but you know maintaining it is, as you grow is extremely important max i think you had unmuted so you're up next yeah i was just sort of something that dovetails into what nick was just saying uh i always like to draw this analogy sensory you know and sensory science and sensory panels are one of my passions uh, and one of my responsibilities at six point was building out a, a real sensory panel and when you're building out a sensory panel you have to look beyond the brewing team uh, because you know the best palette in your entire company might be the IT guy. It might be the HR guy. It, you know, it might be the woman who does operations. And if you don't offer that training to everyone on your team, if you don't offer them that exposure and say, come on in and let's do some off flavors training together and let's see if you're any good at this and let's see if you're excited by it, then you might have the best palette in your company totally going to waste in the operations team. Uh, so, by the same token, I think if you want to put together this, the best overall team you can, you have to go outside of your comfort zone. You have to look outside of the spaces you might be looking in, you know, and, and I love using social media to, you know, attract job candidates. And I love, you know, Indeed and all the classic routes. But I think we have to try and like look outside of that as well and go meet people where they are and say, hey, you might be an atypical candidate for this beer industry job, but is this something you would ever consider being interested in? Because uh, that person might be the best diacetyl taster you've ever met, and they just don't know what diacetyl is yet. Uh, and and so, you know, Nick mentioned beer culture. I think that's a fantastic board in terms of you know reaching out to underserved and underrepresented communities. Pink boots, of course. Uh, but 
and, I, and I'm still brainstorming on better options. This is something we talk about a lot, but where can we go even beyond those options to try and find people that have said, huh, I like the idea of working in craft beer, but I've never thought about how I could get from just being a regular casual fan to working in the industry. Yeah, I think- and Max, and Go ahead, Nick. Uh, I was gonna say, like kind of related to that, probably what we're gonna talk about later is, you know, creating an environment where those groups of people are more likely to interact with you, right? Um, and you know that that's like really like how you present yourself to the public and and what you do in your public-facing spaces. Um, and I don't want to like derail this conversation. We can talk more about that and like all my thoughts around that. But that, that's you know I think that's like that's one of the one of the pathways towards that is is creating like a really inclusive and, and uh, uh, open and inviting space. Absolutely. And Letitia Cook with Beer Culture was supposed to join us today, but she actually had a last minute emergency. It wasn't unable. But I wanted to read something from their mission statement in the beer culture messaging. They say their goal is to invite new drinkers to the party. And it's all about reaching black African-Americans and BIPOC within our communities through humanitarian assistance, educational programs and compassionate community services in an effort to support them where they are. Doing so builds organic and authentic trust within the community, which is the fabric of how we can build a sustainable future, not only for the craft beverage industry, but for the world at large. And I love what beer culture is doing and reaching outside of our norms is very important if we want to create that. Yeah, in terms of places that um, that we've found success, that I've found success in, in my different roles. It kind of depends. Since I was GM at Industrial Arts, I was hiring for every facet of the business. And it kind of depended on the role where we would find the candidates. So social media, we found that was really good for like sales positions, um, because it was people that were already passionate about the brand. Indeed was good for like administrative positions. Um, Craigslist was actually really good for like warehousing and maintenance positions. And bartenders mostly like it was people that we met over the bar <laughs> like you know it was people who were local necessarily and or i guess not necessarily but they already knew the product and they supported the product um so for me i kind of adjusted the strategy based on that social media so, you would yeah. definitely look uh, while you're talking about hiring people from across the bar, because obviously anyone in your tap room is already a fan, most likely, of what you have created. Do you ever feel like that's hiring too close to home, as in maybe hiring that super regular who's just overly excited about your brand and then putting them behind the bar might be not the best fit? Have you ever had any situations encountered like that? Yes. And it's like, it's really hard to have a super fan who sees like, oh, I saw you posted on social media that you're hiring a bartender. I'd love to apply. It's such a delicate situation to be like, oh, that you're, uh, you're not the right fit. I'm so sorry. And I wish I had a, a good way to work around that. But honestly, it's awkward every single time. <laughs> I had a conversation the other day, and I can't remember if it was live or just the private Zoom meeting. They all blur together these days, unfortunately. But I was talking to Jamar Valentine of Noda Brewing. He, he runs their tap room there. And he was talking about a similar situation when he says if he gets that candidate who's just too attached to the brand already, 
he doesn't necessarily make the interview harder, but he really drills into the hard work that it's going to be and asks a lot of tough questions. And maybe at the end of the interview, it's not that they wouldn't be a good fit. Maybe they don't want the position as much as they once did. They would prefer to keep drinking on the other side of the bar. That's a really good approach. Yeah. It's the sure. little things. Yeah. And Kelly, how about yourself? I know you've talked a little bit about before, but I love to hear some of the current strategies. Right. So um, we do often have families who might have um, a person in their family who happens to have a disability and they will want their person to be here at the brewery because we're disability friendly. And I 100% get it. Right. But just because we're disability friendly doesn't mean that that person wants to work here. Right. Or that it's a good fit um, because sometimes there isn't. And I actually had a grandmom who was asking on behalf of her grandson who frequents here. And and the first question I, I asked her was, I said, does, does he want to work here? Because he's like Mr. Like cruise ship social director when he's here <laughs> on the other side of the bar. And so I just started asking some questions, you know, just to feel it out. And I said, I just, and I'm just really honest. I'm like, well, I don't think that that's going to be a fit because these are the dynamics that are going on behind the bar. I said, and I think it would be very frustrating for him. And then it would lose, like, this is his space to be him and who he is. And to be on the other side of the bar pulls him out of who he is. And, and he has since got another job at another place that he absolutely loves. And for him, uh, for our place, he's an incredible artist. So we ping him to do a couple of our labels. And one of the things that I want to share is with one of the labels is that I commissioned him to do a label and I, he did, you know, he did a great job. The, the first time the label comes back, I said, that was a little artistic license that because I gave him kind of like directions on what we would need it and he took some artistic license and I told him to do it again and because you know what I would do that with any other artist right so it didn't come in and I asked him just to repeat it he repeated it I paid him and then I took notice that he wasn't depositing the check and I said the next time he came in I said did you deposit that check yet and he said, no. And I said, why? And he said, because I feel bad. And I said, why do you feel bad about depositing the check? And here it comes, folks. Because when I was taught in school to go out and work, I never got paid for it. I had to volunteer my time. And that is what he learned. And I told him to unlearn it. I asked him to make a label and he did the work and he gets paid for his work. Period. End of story. If he didn't deposit that check, I was never going to ask him to do another label again. So, and he said, oh, okay. And he deposited the, he deposited the money the next day. But that the big lesson here for all of us as business people is don't expect people with disabilities to do the work for free just because they have a disability. And don't pay them 
nominal pay because they have a disability. You pay them for the work they're doing. And one time I had a friend ask, he goes, well, my daughter can only fill salt and pepper shakers. Should she be paid minimum wage to fill salt and pepper shakers? I said, let me ask you this question. Does anybody else have the time to fill those salt and pepper shakers? I said, like, if she's doing a job that helps that business, the answer is yes. That's what she gets paid. Period. End of story. Because it's only volunteering for a job if you actually raise your hand and say, hey, I want to volunteer to do the job. But too often with people with disabilities, they're plugged into these roles of quote unquote volunteering to gain experience. And I'm like, listen, everybody else who works gains experience and gets paid. And that's what we need to change in the world of our disability and our hiring for people with disabilities. Absolutely. And Max, I'll let you go. I'm sure you're going to touch on what I'm going to throw out there. Yeah. You know, and Kelly, like that's a fantastic point. Uh, I would take it one step further. And I, I honestly think this is an industry-wide problem that we have that doesn't just apply to people with disabilities. Um, but I, I think it's sort of one of the dirty little secrets of craft beer is that people are encouraged and sometimes even required to step in and take a volunteer basis position, washing kegs or, you know, moving kegs around the tap room or, or doing some other sort of menial labor to get their foot in the door. Uh, and, and I always really encourage people to say like, look, I really value the opportunity to work for your brewery, but I can't take an unpaid position. You know, if I'm going to be coming in, I need to be paid for my time. Not necessarily because they actually need to be paid for their time, but because, you know, the more that we perpetuate these unpaid internships and stuff like that, the more that we select for types of people that can afford to take an unpaid position. And we're going to continue to perpetuate the types of, you know, exclusivity and craft beer culture that we've always been getting if we don't make these internships accessible to people that can't take an unpaid position because they have obligations. You know, so I think as an industry, we need to do really a lot better at paying everyone what they're worth for their time. Max, you're absolutely nailing it with that one. And Nick, I'm sure you're gonna have something to follow up about real quick. You know, I wanna talk about how we can redu reduce these barriers, which kind of goes right in hand in hand with what Max is talking about. So Nick, I'll throw the mic to you. Yeah, I mean, uh, 100% what Max said, you know, that's how I got into the industry, was that I had the ability to be uh, an unpaid worker the ability and the desire, frankly, to be an unpaid worker, you know, and that's, that's how I got my professional experience, 100%. And, you know, I think, again, as like a business owner, and part of the founding principles of, of our brewery was that, you know, we are confident that, you know, going back to the, what I said earlier, and uh, um, mirroring what some of the other panelists said earlier, you know, if someone has passion, and they're willing to work, I can teach them anything, like, anything <laughs> uh, to, 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 to what, what I would expect from them for that job. Um, and, you know, going, going uh, to the question at hand, uh, Andrew, you know, how do we, how do we like hire better or how do we make sure that we're getting the right people? Um, I think it comes down to like setting up systems so that you're not, so any implicit bias that you might have that you might not be aware of just is gone. Like it's impossible for it to, to enter into the, into the process. And so, you know, the way we've defined the process here at Bellflower and the way we had defined the process at Trillium and the way I defined the process at um, my previous career in the cannabis industry is, is by setting up structure around interviewing, right? So it's everybody for whatever position gets the same five questions. Um, they're in a specific format, 
and you tell the, the person that you're interviewing what the format is ahead of time. So they have the, the chance to prepare. Wait, Nick, I have to stop you for a second. You're talking about a craft brewery having systems for hiring, not some Outback Steakhouse, Ruby Tuesdays, Applebee's restaurant right now? Yes. <laughs> and, and even one like, you know, our size, like there's, uh, there's literally five of us that work here every day, you know, and, <clears throat> you know, it's really not that hard to like set up those systems. If you're, if you're following like good hiring practices, you're already doing it right. Theoretically. Um, so what we did at, at Trillion, what I brought here and to my other job was, uh, was that system. So it's, you know, when you're setting up interview questions, um, looking at something like the STAR format, that's what we chose. And STAR stands for, uh, you know, situation or task, the action you took and the result. And so I always say at the beginning of an inter interview, you know, say, all right, these are the five, I have five questions that I'm gonna ask you. Um, we ask everybody the same questions. And, you know, usually we do interviews in like a panel style and everybody, everybody in the panel has the same sheet, the same question sheet. And, you know, you say to the, the person interviewing, you know, like think of think of your answer as a story, right? You're telling me like what what happened, what you did, and what the result was, and and that's kind of like how I want you to think about you know the the answers to these questions, and you know usually they're not skill based questions just because uh, like I said you know I want to I want to get people specifically in the door that I can train and like give them best practices. Um, not saying I wouldn't hire someone skilled, but you know that's kind of like my, where my mind is. Um, and so you go through those questions as a panel and then everybody scores every question, you know, one to five uh, individually before we discuss as a group. And then you come together and you say, okay, well, what was your score for question one? And that way, again, it takes out everybody's like uh, group bias because once you start talking about answers, you know, if you're, if you're an influential person that is able to like sell your ideas to the rest of the group, then suddenly the rest of the group is believing everything you're saying, except like their own personal beliefs, right? Um, so if you if you think about it that way and you think about it as like a process and a system that you need to like you know approach approach like not the issue but like like solving that problem of hiring and like finding the right person, then I think it's it takes away a lot of the the um, the possibility for bias in, in any any situation. You know, if you think about like this is the type of person we want. We want someone passionate. We want somebody that cares about X, Y, Z and, you know, is going to show up to work and, you know, be engaged the whole time, like tailor your questions towards those, those types of things, because that's what you care about. And then ultimately, you know, whether you're talking to somebody on the phone or whether they're there in person in a panel, uh, you, you come to the, the result of like who that person is, you know, as an individual, not as like however they present themselves. That's, that's just like my take on it. And removing bias, that's a great point to add on there. I, I really respect you for working to do that as much as you can. And Sophia? Yeah, I think kind of related to what you're saying, it reminds me of what Max said about like taking cues from sensory panels. Like the whole point of that is removing as much bias as possible, right? Like you want, I've been on so many sensory panels where the head brewer is like, well, I taste mint in this and everybody's like yeah, yeah i'm totally i totally get mint in that I'm like you didn't get mint in that <laughs> but like there is that like a person of authority will influence everybody else i don't know if you can hear the ice cream truck outside my window <laughs> um so the person like you know people will defer to certain voices of authority and i think having a set of questions 
is really important. What I like to do to kind of um, mitigate that a little bit is have the person interview with two different people separately. So rather than have it be a panel where you, because like, even if the person isn't saying something, you kind of get like, you can read body language and stuff like that. So I I like to have a manager and and a cohort, like someone who would be at the same level of the person um, interview the same candidate separately and then share impressions of those, of that same set of questions. I, I do think that it's really important to have the same questions so that you can kind of like compare the two effectively. I also kind of related to what Kelly was saying earlier. I think it's important to have something, some kind of measure that is beyond a talking interview because I do think that, you know, people get nervous and don't exactly present their best selves and, um, some kind of like task or activity I've found to be really helpful. Even if you're just kind of talking through the activity, like, you know, I remember asking like, how would you move this keg from here to over there? And kind of like have them talk through the process or, you know, uh, you're alone in the warehouse and a delivery truck comes to drop off some pallets. Nobody else is around. How do you handle that? Those kinds of like questions I found to be really helpful for like, what's your thought process and how do you problem solve in a situation? Great insight there, Sophia. And I wanna kind of transition this to the next part of the conversation. We've talked a little about where you're hiring, actually hiring. Let's pretend we've somehow created a diverse team of really great people who fit all the criteria that you want. We have these people here we want to talk about keeping them long term. But first, we got to get them trained. You know, so often in the craft beer industry, you hire someone who worked at another brewery. Oh, of course they know how to work in a brewery, but it's not that simple. You know, every business is different in their own unique ways. At the four of your establishments and in your experiences, what type of initial training do you recommend when someone's first brought on? to a business to make sure they understand exactly what you stand for, but also the skills needed to accomplish what they're hired for. They need to know the culture of your business, like first, and, and I was even going to put that in, in the hiring part of it. Before we even sit for the interview, we take them on a tour of our space to let them know not just what we do, but why we do it like what is the basis of of our whole business model so that is just like driving home the point that for for our own is that we are not just a brewery we're asking our people to sign on for more than just being a beer tender we're asking them to sign on to be a community member to to level up and like come out and do the community events that we do we are asking them to make all our community members comfortable in the space and um we lead with that because that will actually you know just naturally migrate you know people to you and naturally migrate people away from you you know for for the work environment um, then we get down to the nuts and bolts, but we we always lead with our mission statement of of the purpose 
that we are here. And I think that has to be the founding, the founding principle. And also like I've had to call people in and have one-on-one -on -one meetings with them because sometimes people think that people with disabilities are here and you know they're here and it's like no we're 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 like this and then and how i bring that to the forefront with some of our other not just the people who work here but also some of our customers is to say i just start listing all the things i do for them that are accommodations and modifications because I know who they are as a person and what we do to make them feel comfortable in the space while they're with us. And I said, because that's really it. We all are on the human spectrum. And to me, that's just the natural way of being, right? We're gonna try to treat each other with extra TLC. If we, if we know that somebody likes to sit at a particular pace, space, you know, we're going to try to make that space available for them when we know that they come, right? It's just another little way that we can show that we care about somebody. And I always tell my boys that I'm like, the way that you can show somebody that you care about them is that you thought about them before you even interacted with them, right? And you're going to, you're just going to do it an extra measure of, you know, little extra measure of love that you're sending that way. So like for my boys, that extra measure of love might be writing them a list of knowing what they're going to do when they come into the brewery, right? So basically it's just, just a task list. First, you're going to do this, then you're going to do this, then you're going to do this. And that's an extra little level of love for them because now they know what to expect. They know what is expected of them and better yet, they know when they're done and they can go home, right? <laughs> so those are just some of the really... I, I consider them just kind of no-brainer ways of showing people that, that you care about them. And that's the kind of culture that we want to have at our brewery. Yeah, and I think Kelly just said something that really dovetails into how you can you know make, make anyone successful and give them the tools for success as they come on board with your team. Uh, you know, culture is critically important and you have to get someone on board with the culture and make sure they understand what the expectations of the culture are. But also within their role, you know, and growing into the role within whether it's the first 30 days, the first 60 days, the first 90 days within that role, checklists are great. You know, coming up with an SOP uh, for how to onboard your team and coming up for, with some objectives and saying like, all right, within the thir first 30 days of you being in this role, here's what we expect you to begin to understand. Here are the relationships we expect you to start to forge with your team and with, you know, cross departmental teams. Uh, within 60 days, we expect you to have these things done and these understandings that are beyond that and give that all to them, you know, upfront very early on in their onboarding process. So they have some clear cut delineations of here's how I'm going to be measured on success. Here's what I can do to succeed. And, and here's how I can grow into this role more quickly and, you know, get my feet going and be successful in it. And Max, while I have you, I want to ask you a question because we've used a lot of terminology today. I've heard onboarding. I've heard mission statements. Nikki, talk about the processes beyond behind like hiring and things like that. Craft brewery owners so often and managers wear so many different hats. How do you find time to focus on these concepts that are extremely important but not always associated with craft beer? You make the time. You have to. Like that's just <laughs> that's it. You know, it's it's the it's part of the investment, right? Like, you can't 
you can't ignore it because if you do, then it's just gone, and you you don't you you're not doing it anymore. Um, that's 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 re really what it is. And, and again, like I'll go back to our like founding principles. You know, when we when we initially talked about starting the company and like opening and who we were going to be, um, some of the first words out of our mouth mouths were, you know, training is going to be number one, the most important thing. Like again, I'm, I keep saying it, but it's like as long as you have passion for something, I know I can make you passionate and and help you learn like what we're what we what we expect and what we're doing here. And you know, backtracking a little bit, um, you know, going back to like me investing my time when I had the ability to 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 become a professional. You know, I don't I don't think that anybody should really have to do that. Like if you come on board for a job, like you should be trained on how to do it and should be paid for that training as well. And, you know, just, just like a minor example for us, and we haven't had like a, a lot of time to be able to do this, but, you know, we've offered uh, to our front of house staff that are interested in, in, you know, working uh, on the production side, like we'll, I'll send a, I'll send like a message at the beginning of the week and I'll say, Hey, we're doing, you know, we're running the can line on Tuesday does anybody want to come in for a couple extra hours to like see how that flows and, and get, you know, a handle on that process. And, you know, they've, they've come in now a couple of times and, and it's just, it's making that investment in, and being comfortable with that as like a business owner that, you know, not everybody's going to come in with all the experience that you, that you think you need right away. But as long as you're willing to like take the time and make the investment, you know, you're going to have employees that are engaged that want to be here that want to like work really hard for you because they take ownership of, of those things, you know, that's just my experience. And Nick, one, one thing, Max, before we throw the mic to you, we won't have time to take a deep dive into it, but you, the offer of having employees come in and just learn other jobs at your business is extremely important. So often in brew houses and I know Sophia, you and I talked about this the other day, the disconnect between front of house and back of house, can get very big sometimes and it's very yeah. important everybody understand that we're here for the same goal and we need to understand we don't have to love each other but we need to understand each other and the importance right. of what the other person is doing and take the time to learn what the other person is doing so you can respect them more as people because we're not just servers we're not just brewers you're in this as a business and there's so many different roles that fall into the umbrella of the company that result in success and mike uh, max i'll throw it back to you on that no, and, and Andrew, that's exactly the direction I was going to go with that too, is, you know, I think those cross departmental opportunities are really important for that. I think, and, and that's one reason that I always open up, you know, any trainings I'm running, whether it be sensory training or a beer 101 training that I'm doing for taproom staff, you know, I'll, I'll send out an open invite basically to the whole company up to and including the CEO and say, like, look, here's the training we're going to be doing. Here's the objective behind it. Here's what you might learn. Uh, please you know, feel free to come in and sit down if you got a free hour. Uh, you know, if you're a sales team member and you have a free day to spend with the brew team, that's only going to make you a better sales team member. And I think, you know, going back to sort of the title of the panel, like how do we build the best team possible? You're going to get the best buy-in from your people if the IT guy understands the beer making process and therefore becomes more passionate about it. And no longer does he just want to be an IT guy. He wants to be an IT guy at a beer making company or at a brewery. Uh, so the more you can inspire that passion in people that Maybe they came in to do logistics, you know, and schedule trucks. And all of a sudden they realized that like, holy cow, maybe I would rather be an assistant brewer, uh, you know, and th then you're left looking for a new logistics person to schedule trucks, but you end up with a really, really well-rounded, you know, intricately faceted team of people that are passionate about it and want to be there. Uh, and of course, 
you know, we haven't talked about Cicerone at all. Uh, and obviously as an advanced Cicerone, I'm pretty passionate about that program for the formal side of education. But that's one thing that I really like about their program is that it forces you to learn more than just, you know, how to wash a glass to be a good bartender. You have to learn about the history of the styles and you have to learn about the brewing process and all of these different facets of the industry that make you better at your job. Fantastic. Why. <laughs> Say what, Nick? It, it's giving people the why, you know, like, why did you put peanut butter in this stout? Because it tastes really good, but it's also, you know, like X, Y, Z. And Sophia, I would love to hear a little bit of your insight on this. I know you're passionate about training and development and would love to hear some of the strategies you feel are important at a brewery. I really like the, the focus on checklists and clear expectations. I think that's so important. And like in my experience as an employee and as a manager, if you, if you don't put in that work up front, it's going to come back to bite you in the ass later. Like it just is. You, <laughs> you can focus on the like the brewing system and the materials sourcing and all of that kind of stuff. But if you don't focus on the employees, you're not going to be able to build a successful brewery in the long term. Like I understand that like in the beginning, you just need to get beer out. You know, you, you've often invested a lot of money. You're strapped for cash. You need to just get the beer out and you're not focusing on like, what are my expectations of employees in the first 60, 90, 180 days? But the sooner that you do focus on that, the more smoothly the process is going to be in the long term. And I think like it's really cool what Nick was saying is that like even though there are only five people involved, he's already putting in those systems because it's so much easier to develop those systems once you already have that framework in place instead of trying to implement it after three years when you're like, oh, shit, <laughs> Why don't we have a hiring system? Like, why don't we have a process? Why don't we have any of these things? And the other thing that I wanted to bring up was, oh, I really like, oh, I lost my battery. Um, I really liked what, I think it was Max that was saying. Um, no, it was Kelly. Sorry, what, what you said, I think it's been really interesting. What you've been saying is like specific to the community that you've been dealing with, like, I, you can see all of us, we're all like, yeah, yeah. Like it's true for everybody. We all like having checklists. We all like having clear expectations. One thing that I really like about um, production work is that you have a tangible thing at the end of the day. Like you made a beer or you, you packaged 120 cases. And like, it's so satisfying to like have that clear product of your work and I think for computer work it's tough you know it seems like you always have more emails to answer and more things to do and it's it's it kind of takes out some of the rewards so I think especially for for your employees that are more computer-based it's really important to have clear goals and metrics so that they can feel accomplished in their job too. Sophia, I have a question. So I spend a lot of time in front of the computer. So after I say I respond to every 50 emails, do I get a beer? Is that what you're saying? Do I get some sort of reward? I support this initiative. Yeah, you deserve it. Oh my God. <laughs> well, I'm not going to talk about rewarding myself anymore, but what I do want to transition this conversation to, and it's 
we're not going to be able to tackle all the topics we thought about prior to this panel, but I want to talk about motivation and rewarding employees. So for the four of you, there's lots of different ways we can motivate people, whether it's by giving them some low fills of extra beer you have around the warehouse or, you know, giving them extra educational opportunities like getting certified for Cicerone. What have the four of you found as tools you can use to motivate that have actually worked? I want to kind of make this a lightning round, but I love to hear those basic, you know, one, two, threes of what you've used or what you believe would be successful with your teams. I'll go. Uh, so I think number one is is providing opportunity. Um, that's the biggest thing is, you know, Nobody wants, well, I mean, some people want to be like bartenders or, you know, retail beer employees for their entire lives. They love talking to people. They love pouring beers. They love that. But not everybody wants to do that, you know. And, and if that's your pathway into the industry as like a, you know, front of house, like bartender person, um, you know, if you say to that person, like, hey, you have an opportunity to help out on the can line because uh, we need an extra hand and, you know, I'll show you how to run the filler. Like, that's crazy. Like, that's that's something that, you know, and not only that, but like, we're not asking you to like volunteer, we're going to pay you, you know, your regular rate and, and we'll show you how to do everything. I think that's, that's a huge motivator for people because, because, you know, ultimately I think, um, I think, uh, uh, a lot of people just want to, they want to, they want to be a part of something they want to learn more and they want to grow. And if you can give someone an opportunity to do that, then they're going to, they're going to love it and they're going to, they're going to want to stick with you. And, and yeah, that's, that's my biggest one. No, I love it. Great one. Ours is uh, we we pay well. Let's just start with that. So we we pay above the industry norm, and uh, and that's before tips, right? So then they have their tips. So most of our hires are for beer tenders. Uh, for Noah, who has just taken on the bottling, um, I actually give him a bonus for the cases he he puts out. And uh, for Jonah, I give him a bonus because he has other things that he keeps me organized. He's my organizational guy. So he has other things that he helps me with and reminds me. So I pay him a little extra as my personal assistant. And uh, But the other thing we do with our staff is flexible hours. Uh, we give them merch, obviously, when our, when our merchandise comes in. Uh, we're just understanding, like super understanding when life stuff comes up because we get it, life stuff comes up. So we really try to operate as, as much of a family kind of atmosphere as we can. So if somebody just gets a house, you know, we, we celebrate that they got a house. If, if, you know, something else happens really great, we celebrate. Matter of fact, like off screen is a big pile of tasty cakes because every birthday we celebrate their birthdays by bringing a big bunch of tasty cakes in and then they get to walk around and give tasty cakes out to all our customers. <laughs> so just things like that, that actually build like a really good, good vibe around here. Kelly, I absolutely love that. Max, what about you? So you asked for three things real quick. Uh, I think, you know, free beer has to be on it. Like if, if you're working at a craft brewery, uh, people need a shift beer or, you know, a case of beer of month, however you want to measure that and merch as well. Because if, if you build a team that's proud to work for you, you want them to walk into other tap rooms wearing your t-shirt or your hat or your jacket, you know, whatever the, the coolest merch you can come up with is for your team. Uh, secondly, I love the idea of an education stipend. You know, maybe it varies by role. Obviously educational opportunities for brewers cost more than educational opportunities for sales members. Uh, so, you know, set it up by role, but 
encouraging people to do continuing education on your dime. You know, I, I always like the saying, like, pay people to or, or encourage people and train people to be good enough so that they can go work anywhere and then incentivize them to stay with you. Um, and then thirdly, I would say, you know, set up some sort of metric that you can measure and say, all right, uh, you know, this year we're going out to GABF in the fall. And everyone wants to go out to Denver and pour at GABF and spend time in Denver or CBC, you know, Craft Brewers Conference. Figure out some way to measure and say, you know, whoever does the best performance for the next six months is going to CBC. And then next year we'll have the same competition again. Make it a reward for your team rather than just some random pick or, you know, this manager's favorite employee is going to CBC every year. That's great insight, Max. And one thing that Kelly touched on is that the motivation shouldn't just be for, say, front of house staff. Everyone, no matter what their position is, should be given some sort of metric where they can reach attainable goals. The goals need to be attainable. They can't be something so unrealistic that you'll never get rewarded for. You need to make sure you're giving people goals to reach in these checklists that actually get them to a point where they're going to you know, get to go on those trips, get to receive the extra beer, shirts, additional educational opportunities for sure. And Sophia? I mean, that was an awesome list. I think you guys about covered it. I guess the only thing that I would add is I, I like the idea of, of rituals that people kind of have to look forward to, like what Kelly said about birthdays. Um, but you kind of make your own depending on what your culture is like. Kind of, uh, I think celebrating anniversaries is really awesome. Having like gifts that you get for every anniversary. Um, things that people can kind of look forward to that are expected and consistent. And I think this panel, the past hour, has been a pretty good representation of the current state of the industry. We can try to cram as much as we want into an hour, but we still have so much we can learn. And I know the initial description had a lot more we were going to discuss, but Max, I think we stuck to the title of creating the best team possible. We talked about where you start, how you get there, and how you work, maintain, and motivate. So we touched on a ton of really important concepts today. And Nick, I told myself I wouldn't say it anymore, but passion. I absolutely love how passionate you are, and passion is contagious. It starts off the top, it goes through your entire team, and it radiates with your guests, and that is truly how you create a successful business, whether brewery or in some other line of work. That's how you get people who are about passionate about sharing your brand. So I appreciate the four of you joining us. Today. This has been a really great conversation. I think we might need to do a follow-up where we dive into some more deeper issues, how to create that best possible team. But more importantly, thanks everyone else who joined us at some point for this conference. It's been a really fun three days. I know I've enjoyed my time at the computer, and I'm looking forward to three more days of diving back into rewatching all the content. Huge thanks to Precision Fermentation, River Drive Cooperage, and White Labs, industry partners who are passionate about educational opportunities like this. And as always, CBP is 100% free. I know Max wants to pay for you to go get your Cicerone and, you know, go to Siebel's to learn how to brew a little bit better. And I hope they do. But, you know, we're here as a free resource to anyone in the industry. But once again, Max, Nick, Kelly, and Sophia, man, I've absolutely loved this conversation with the four of you today. Looking forward to those beers in person. And thanks again for sharing your wisdom today. And everybody, see you later. Have a great evening or wherever you are in the world. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you.